Hello, I'm your host, Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by Citilets and Arla Property Mart Scotland. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citilets.co.uk. Today, my guest is professional landlord, Colin Pretty. Morning, Colin. Good morning, Gillian. Now, Colin, you've been a landlord for 18 years now. However, your property career started well before this. So tell us your starting point in um, getting into property. So I'm going to give my age away here, Gillian. Um, I left school in 1982 and I had a decent set of exam results. I wasn't a brilliant academic. I had my six or seven O levels, five hires, all of that. But I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I did a business studies HND at Napier and I completed that and still didn't really know what I wanted to do. But I was then 20, it was nine, late 1984, and I knew I needed to get a job and start doing something. And I had a hankering for some reason to be involved in property. And I think that came from my upbringing. My mother was very much pro-property ownership and I thought it would be interesting. And you've got to remember 1984-85, it's before the internet and everything like that. Mm. I picked up the yellow pages and I wrote letters handwritten to estate agents, uh, property management companies with a CV. And lo and behold, I got a letter back from, and now they're no longer with us really, the firm, a company called Gumley's. Who I remember were, Gumley's. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Kenneth Gumley yep. and Logan Melville, they ran mm-hmm. Gumley's. And or the manager of our sister company used to work for Gumley's for quite a few years. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they had another uh, organisation within it called Joint Properties Limited. Anyway, I got summoned to their office, uh, taken into Kenneth Gumley's office on Hanover Street um, and he offered me a job. I even I even remember him asking me what I think what he thought I should be paid, what my starting salary should be. And uh, I said, uh, five thousand pounds. And he said, Well, we'll start you on four. So there you go, that was me. And I was thrown yeah. into this and I didn't really know what was going to happen or what I would be involved in with the estate agency. Um, and actually I ended up working in their accountancy department. Um, dealing with uh, accounts from their factored properties. Um, Factoring, although it was big in the West, had really come into modern developments in Edinburgh at that time, and they jumped on this bandwagon as factoring agents. Um, And that's how it started. The irony is I was rubbish at maths, but actually I don't know whether he knew that, but uh, it was a very good grounding. And then I got involved. I was with them for four years. I worked in different departments and it gave me a a really solid grounding in that. And that was the starting point. At the same time, I actually bought my first flat with a little bit of help from home. Mm -hmm. Uh, I bought a one bedroom flat with a box room in McDonald Road. Um, I don't mind telling you that at that time that was bought for £15,000. Wow. Um, wow. And I still have that flat and I still rent it out. Wow. And that was how it kicked off. Mm-hmm. So in 1989, mm-hmm. I moved to Ryden Lettings and I was with Ryden's for 15 years. And how I ended up with a property portfolio really started on the basis that 
I lived in my first flat for a couple of years. I looked for a bigger flat and I bought a flat in Ritchie Place. This is really going to surprise you mm -hmm. for about £11,000 at the time. Oh, it was geez. an absolute wreck. Mm -hmm. And I moved out of McDonald Road and I re I'd managed to remortgage with a bit of leverage to buy the other flat. And I started to do what you would call gearing, really. Um, and I moved out of McDonald into Ritchie, lived in it, did it up. Four or five years later, I bought a flat in Paul's Crescent, managed to hang on to Ritchie Place, rented that out. <laughs> and you get the picture, yeah. really. So, so then what, what stage was it when you then owned a certain amount of properties or what stage did you decide then just to become a professional landlord? So again, um, I was drawn out of my comfort zone on that a wee bit. I, um, I married in 1998 and um, by that time I had three or four flats of my own and my wife had a flat in Montpellier Park and we bought a house together just at the time we got married and we rented out her flat. So I now had four or five flats. We started a family in 2001, 2002. Uh, my wife is an orthodontist in private practice. I was working at Ride and Lettings. Uh, our days used to take on a similar routine. Our baby boy would be dropped at Strawberry Hill Nursery at 7.30 in the morning, mm -hmm. and we'd have the same conversation every day at about 5.30. Who was picking up Callum? And one of us would have to, she would invariably say, I've still got three or four patients to see. You'll have to get them. And I'll go, right, well, you know what, I'm busy. And I would break the land speed record to get there to pick him up. And you know, we kind of just sat down one night and go, this isn't really working the way it should. And we had the backing of the, and the income from the four or five flats we owned. And I had talked about, you know, I could do this on my own. Um, I considered at the time looking at actually, believe it or not, uh, property in Dundee, where mm -hmm. I thought the yields might be higher mm -hmm. than in relation to the capital values that yeah. we had in Edinburgh. And I, I, I needed to go and look and take time. And I'd never had time to do that because I was a wage slave. And, mm -hmm. I and, and were bullet. your current properties being managed by you or by they were an being agent? By, well, they were being managed by me uh -huh. through the ride and lettings umbrella. Yep. Okay, mm -hmm. and that, that was allowed. Mr. Adair, who owned the company, was very happy to do that, for you to do that. Um, but I got to the, a sort of critical point, I thought, mm -hmm. uh, really, where I, we had sufficient income through my wife's work and from the income that was coming in from the rents from the properties we own for us to take that push. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It was. I was a bit nervous about doing it, but it was the best decision I ever made because within two or three years, I, I found that I'd grown it, I'd acquired a couple of more properties, they were going well. Um, you were starting to say so about Dundee, so you were kind of venturing into Dundee. I did, did, well, you know? I, only did I only did a couple of flats in Dundee mm -hmm. as a sort of, it wasn't quite a social experiment, but it wasn't my, I had a, I thought I'll diversify, I can get up there. I bought a couple of flats in the West End. They were much cheaper to acquire at that time in Dundee than they were in Edinburgh. And the yields were actually, what I found was there wasn't the same capital growth on those properties. And there's a lot of property management and investment in property is about that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So 
absolutely unbelievable capital growth in Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. You get hit with capital gains taxes at some point when you offload. Yeah. You never got the same growth in Dundee, but you got quite high rental yields. Mm -hmm. I no longer have the Dundee flats. I did sell them right. uh, after about 10 years. Uh, in fact, 2016-17. But actually, I paid down a bit of debt across the portfolio on, with that. Mm -hmm. And actually, I bought another flat in Edinburgh. Right. And I think that that's an important point to make. You, I think that there's a tendency to overgear, and if things happen financially that are adverse, like the collapsing of yeah. the banks, you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you're so highly geared that you cannot cope. Yeah. So I never got beyond sort of sixty percent, sixty-five percent of you know loan value, um, and actually since that time. I've actually reduced the debt across the portfolio to under really 35, 40%. Oh, gosh. So. so, well, tell us a bit more about your portfolio. So, does it consist, you know, is it short and long term or, you know, any HMOs and also, you know, where they are all located? Well, they're now all in Edinburgh and um, I have a selection of properties of one, two, and three bedroom flats. I'm a traditionalist in that I like traditional builds. Mm -hmm. I think that the Victorian flats are amazing. You can reconfigure them. They allow yourself to very tastefully knock them about mm -hmm. and you can add value. And that's what I'm all about. I think long term, how long am I going to keep this if I can get a property at the right price and I can do a good renovation without spoiling the flat? I think that that's an important point with subdivision and stuff like that. I would try and do them tastefully. So think instead of cramming a kitchen into a box room, I might look and see if I can knock through a wall with planning permission, of course, put in an RSG to create an open plan kitchen living area um, and then releasing the lounge to be used as a second bedroom. So I do that a lot in flats in and around Polworth, Dalry. Um, but I have flats, a couple of flats, uh, my flat McDonald Roads off Leith Walk. Um, and I, for a while, I avoided any modern builds. I always thought there was a premium on modern builds and that they didn't appreciate in capital yeah. value to the same extent. And a lot of the modern builds, it will depend who they've subcontracted work to, how well that's been done. And you don't often know that until you're, you own the flat. And I think it's a bit of a misnomer to assume that because you've got a modern flat, you're going to have less maintenance issues. Um, so I have a selection. Um, and... I always say that uh, I don't have as many HMO properties as I do one and two bedroom flats and the HMOs account for 80% of the work because you have more changeovers, more issues with group shares than you do with your smaller properties. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, now that we've moved into level zero and all being well, we will move past that level in August. Let's talk about your experiences of COVID up till now, because, you know, we're aware that tenants' priorities have changed. Predominantly people are often, or we're hearing that they're often after more working and or outdoor space. So did you have any change of tenancies, you know, during, you say, the past almost year and a half? And if so, did you choose to adapt any properties to accommodate these changes? You know, for example, did you, um, you know, do you think it's important for a landlord to consider introducing a working space now to to the property again look that's a great question and I think that um, COVID has been a chastening experience for us all uh, and we've all had to learn to adapt and embrace new practices even a old dinosaur like me um, I actually always thought that working spaces within flats was important 
So I talked to you, I touched on that last question about if I did a flat renovation about creating an open space, trying to release a lounge, really what would have been a one bedroom flat into a two, how would I do that if I had a, an adjoining box room to a kitchen? So I've always tried to ensure that if the demographic I foresee for a flat might be two people doing a master's or a PhD or a third or fourth year student sharing that they both have a workspace. And that also naturally works for people who are in full-time employment too. So having a desk in a flat that they can access and work from either within their larger bedrooms or within a open plan area is, I feel, very important. Um, change of tenancies? Well, you know what? Yes, of course I have. And um, my experience of the pandemic is an interesting one because the with the HMOs, I've seen a significant uh, difference in the, or the, the changeovers have been much more significant. And that's mainly because you might have one whose parents have gone, look, your course has been delivered online. You're not getting a university experience. Why don't you come home? And I saw a lot of tenancies, particularly like Christmas and Easter, when these young academ academics went home, either terminate their tenancies, giving their 28 days notice through their PRT agreement, or two being left or one being left in a situation where the other two flatmates has gone, how would they do it? Two wanted to stay, they couldn't find somebody new, there's no movement of people. Yeah. So I managed all of this really through reducing rents where necessary, mm -hmm. rather than having trying to have voids. If I had a void, then rather than try, it's literally, it is very hard to relet a flat if you are locked down. Mm -hmm. There's no movement. People aren't looking for, mm -hmm. they're not starting new jobs. They're at home. So how do you find new tenants? It's very hard to do so. So in many cases, I took the opportunity to put tradesmen and do work on those flats so that when we recover, they are ready to go, those properties. Yeah. And in other cases, I was very happy to negotiate on what I call COVID rents. Mm -hmm. For example, I might have a three-bedroom HMO let out at £1,500. Charlie goes back to Ireland, leaving John and Sarah, who want to stay in the flat. I would reduce their rent to £1,000. I am aware that they have a joint and several liability to meet the full rent, but there's only the two of them, so I would reduce the rent by a third. Mm, and yeah. that way, I didn't end up with an empty property, they are in their, I'm getting income, utilities and services are still being met by them and I have no council tax obligations because the property is yes. vacant. And I did that across the portfolio. I can give you many examples. Mm -hmm. I had a German boy doing a master's or a PhD at Harriet Watt University whilst his flatmate also doing a master's and PhD was a UK national. Uh, Julianne went home to Germany for Christmas and we locked down on oh, yeah. the 27th of December. Mm -hmm. He ended up emailing me in January to saying he couldn't come back. Um, he'd had to rent a flat in Heidelberg. His intention was to come back in March or April. Would I help him? Well, of course, he asked. Mm -hmm. So, again, that rent was halved. They were, two boys were paying £1,100 a month for a flat in Polworth Crescent. It was reduced to 550 until he came back and then it went back to a full rent. So that is how I've done Good it. Deal.
Mm -hmm. Okay, well, the way in which properties are marketed, you know, has also changed. Um, so what approaches have changed in the way that you advertise your flats? Wow, now that is an interesting one. So uh, I'm not bigging you up here, but I always advertise online via City Lets and I find it a very good medium and I get a very good response and I very rarely find that I have to go elsewhere to generate initial interest. Um, however, um, I'm rather old fashioned, so I like to touch and feel and see what I'm doing. And I was always, in the past before COVID, I would very rarely remit, let a flat remotely. I would want to meet the person, gauge what they were like, work out if I could work with them because I'm very hands-on in the management. Mm -hmm. So I have to have a connection with the tenant and that's hard to establish. Also, I feel that if somebody doesn't actually do a physical viewing, particularly as they can give 28 days notice through a PRT, they have too much of an out if they can spin you the line, I never saw the flat. So I, I, but as I've said already, I'm sorry for waffling, lockdown has changed that. So what do I do? I do walk around videos on my iPhone. I've had to learn new skills. Yeah. Um, and quite often if somebody wanted to see a video, I would introduce myself on a WhatsApp. I'd do it on the, my iPhone. I'd then walk around the flat. Um, and I would WhatsApp that to them. And then if they were still interested, they would see the flat, we would have conversations on the phone. And actually during lockdown, I did rent my first flat remotely, having actually never met the person face to face. But as far as possible, um, I satisfied myself that they really liked the property, more photographs, walk around videos. And the other thing that I did embrace when required is getting a floor plan done. Mm -hmm. So there's no dubiety about the dimensions of a room. Somebody can't come back to you and say, oh, I didn't realize that bedroom number two was only, you yeah. know, 10 feet 11 by 13 one. Um, and I use another company, I'm sure many private landlords do pinstripe who do infantries, they do floor plans. And if I felt I had the need to push a property, I would get a floor plan done. So videos, floor plans, face-to-face, FaceTiming people and actually really interviewing them and finding out what they want from the flat and how serious they are in terms of their longevity was very important for me. Right. Well, although rents and time to lets for Edinburgh appear to have stabilised in quarter two, quarter one average rents went down by 6.9% year on year and time to lets increased by 14 days on average. So how do you set your appropriate rent levels from the start, you know, to prevent void periods? So I think it's very important you get a good return on your investment. You have costs to meet, uh, not least in most cases you'll have a buy-to-let mortgage or a mortgage through some sort of provider on obligations that you have to fulfill. And at the end of the day, you have to make a profit on your property. But establishing a fair rent at the start is very important. Now, again, forgive me if I waffle a bit on this. For me, the most important thing is actually Finding a good tenant at a fair rent, it's not all about squeezing the orange and getting every little last bit of juice out of it in terms of rental income. Yeah. I would rather have a good tenant at £1,100 a month than be thinking, oh, you know, I could get £1,200 a month for this property. So I do look at the market, I see what mm -hmm. flats are going for. 
um, I make sure that my flats are in very good order and I'm in touch with what a two bedroom flat in Dalry or Polworth or Brunsfield might achieve. Um, I, the quality of the flat will determine the level of interest you can generate, but I think it's just important to pitch it right at the start. And I think I'm very good at doing that. Um, so it's not about being greedy, it's about being fair. And that way you tend to have demand and you tend to not have so many void periods. There's no point of flat being advertised and vacant at 1100 pounds a month if you could have it let mm -hmm. and occupied at a thousand and yeah because for what you would lose over you know month to it's month it's pointless you have it empty at the, looking for not a greedy rent but just the wrong rent yeah. for even three weeks mm -hmm. or a month you've paid council tax for that month you have utilities to cover um and voids hurt you it's all about limiting voids um and I think I'm pretty good at that. I think timing of the year will affect rental levels. We're coming into a very busy period just now. I mean, we're hopeful that we're opening up a bit more. We're hopeful that uh, with vaccination programmes, universities returning for their second COVID year, that more might be delivered face-to-face -face than online. Um, we will have demand with people starting jobs, hopefully starting new courses and when demand is high, supply and property levels drop, prices might rise a little. Um, but it's just very important, I feel, to establish what is a good and fair rent that gives you a good return and also attracts tenants to your flat. Indeed, well, to support tenants, the Scottish Government has introduced an interest-free loan as well as the 10 million grant fund. Do you feel this has been sufficient, you know, financial assistance for tenants in such difficulty? Um, Julian, that's a hard one for me to answer. I don't have a lot of experience of accessing the loan schemes, mainly because I've managed to the portfolio that I have fairly successfully and avoided either tenants being, flats being empty so that I've had to access what might be available to me. I'm a bit cynical about that. And um, as for support, financial support for the tenants, I only have, I've only had one tenant who's had to go through that process and they found it very, well, paper intensive or all line intensive. And at the end of the day, the experience is sometimes that you don't qualify for anything that's available. Um, and I think there's a distinction to be made here. There's not, these aren't handouts. You, the, the, the crucial word is loans, and a loan means that sometime it has to be paid back or caught up with, and quite how that's done, who knows, or when you have to pay that back. So it's just additional debt at the end of the day. Um, so I've been lucky, I think through hard work, um, that I have not had the need. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't qualify anyway, <laughs> but, um, I haven't, I've managed to maintain an income stream in most cases to cover costs and outgoings. Um, so I don't think enough is done for many people in that regard. Um, and I think people that are, there are different spectrums of tenants. I think through, I have no experience of how social housing works or people that are on housing benefit have found access to these schemes because really, apart from, as I say, one tenant, I, all my other tenants haven't had a requirement to try and access funding. 
Okay. Well, the ban on evictions has been extended until the end of March 2022, with the potential to be extended until September 2022. So how do you rate the effectiveness of this ban for both parties, you know, for both landlord and tenant? I find this one hilarious. Um, even before COVID, uh, when we had a booming economy at times, uh, capital values are rocketing, rents are high, demand is huge. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had any experience of trying to evict a tenant, even in normal times, it is a chastening experience. Yeah. So forget what the legislation says and how long it takes. It always takes a lot longer than you think it will. Um, I think through, I'm not bigging myself up here, but through being fairly thorough, presenting good flats and vetting tenants properly, I've had very few instances in my whole career as a landlord of having to go through an eviction process. In fact, since 2002, I've had one, and I can't begin to tell you how many tenancies I've created in that 19-year window. Hear, yeah. But um, the one I did have to do, my goodness, even when, even when you go through the processes correctly, I, I engaged... I, when it gets to that level, I throw it to a solicitor. And actually, any time I've had any difficulties with that, I pass it to TC Young Solicitors, who yes. do act for both landlords and tenants. They bat for both, um, just to make sure that I made no errors in that process. I didn't feel comfortable about handling that myself. And in the case of the tenant who wasn't paying rent. It was a shame. We tried to do all the things you normally do. I'd visited her, tried to help with um, many aspects of her managing her affairs, but it just got to a stage where it was not working and we had to go through that process. But that was in 2009, 2010, when we had no notion of a pandemic. Um, And it took a year longer for her to eventually leave that flat. Mm -hmm. Um, So heaven knows how it will now uh, happen. And I think it's very important to mediate early. Um, And I've done that. I've I've not phoned up every tenant and said to them, are you okay? Do you need help? Um, I've not been that philanthropic. But anyone who's approached me saying, look, we're struggling here or have an issue, like my guy who had to go off to Germany and got stuck. I, again, I can give you another example. I had two girls, again, both at Edinburgh University, one whose parents lived in Holland, one who's lived in Spain. They both went home at Christmas. Their fathers phoned me and asked to, you know, the girls couldn't come back. They did come back in February. We reduced their, I reduced their rent by half. Mm-hmm. So I never got into a situation where arrears were really an issue and I've had to evict, but there must be a dreadful backlog and I can't begin to th- imagine how long it would actually take to go through that process. And I think the point I'm making is that even when in the good times, it is an unwieldy and lengthy process and one you don't really want to experience with the difficulties that we now have had with COVID, it just, I can only imagine that it would take longer and be even more horrible to go through that for both the landlord who needs his asset back and indeed for the tenants who probably through no fault of their own are really going through a very hard time. So 
I don't know if I've really answered that question no, very I, well. No, I think um, you have. Because, I mean, the government have also financially supported landlords in the form of interest-free loans to cover rent arrears, as well as the option of mortgage holidays. So what are your thoughts then on these forms of support for landlords? Again, Gillian, I think what I have to say is that they are just loans and holidays. So they're only helping you through a very short term. You have to cut your cloth. And it is far more important that you have a flat with tenants in it who are paying you some rent and are covering the costs of that flat rather than having the worry of an empty unit that you cannot relet where you have outstanding debt on it through either having to pay a mortgage um, you immediately as soon as that flat is vacant within days a letter is falls through the letterbox from the council saying you have council tax to pay on a three-bedroom HMO that could be £260 a month and you have no income. So um, my worry on that side is that you access those schemes, it affects your credit rating, mm -hmm. you have a loan that you have to repay, you have a mortgage holiday that you have to catch up. I have no direct experience of accessing that because the way I've managed my portfolio has meant, as a think I've explained that I've managed to maintain occupancy, mm -hmm. albeit at reduced rents during this period in some cases, but I haven't had to go cap in hand and ask for a holiday or access government funds to do so, because it just builds up your debt levels and I'm all about not having that. Well, you know, have the effects of the pandemic changed your buy-to-let strategy for the future? Would you recommend investing buy-to-let in the current climate? you know, or in the near future? I still think that property is a sound financial investment. Um, going back to the start of my involvement in property management and becoming a landlord was always that it's tangible, you can touch it, you can see it and you can manage it yourself. So as a form of investment, you see growth and if you work it well, you're in control of that. That is why I'm a landlord and I've chosen to invest in property more so than say my pension or I think diversity is important if you are trying to build up both a property portfolio and secure your own fiscal future. Um, I still think property is a good investment, but I think it's like everything, it's about acquiring the right property in the right location at the right price. Can you add value to it? Will you have footfall? Who are you going to rent it to? It's all very well going, you know what, there's a flat and it's down here. You've got to, uh, I'm not going to pick on an area because I upset somebody, but if you think you're going to acquire yeah. a four bedroom HMO in Constitution Street at the bottom of Leith Walk, you've got to think, well, what universities are those people going to be at? So. I've always tried with investments to look at areas that are on the cusp of a bullish area um, and they've all caught up. So yeah. 20 years ago when I bought my first flat in Dalry, Dalry wasn't a desirable area. It's dragged itself up by the socks. You now have lovely bistros and restaurants and pizza parlours and uh, it's on a main bus route. You, ca you can leave your flat in Cathcart Place and be on a bus out to Harriet Watt University. You can walk up to Napier. So I look at flats and locations and I think, 
are the prices in this area competitive? Um, and if I buy a flat here and do it up, who am I going to rent it to? Because I need to be sure that I'm going to avoid voids and have high occupancy rates and that I'm going to have sustainable capital growth. The problem with limiting yourself to one city is that all these areas eventually take off and, you know, we might have a situation where Brunsfield at one point was very bullish and expensive, but Polworth wasn't. Well, Polworth soon caught up. And then you come down a couple of streets into Dalry and Haymarket, and it was maybe a bit behind Polworth, but it's now caught up. So there's a skill to it, I feel. And there will always be opportunities for investments. You should never turn yourself off to it. And there will always be demand for rental property. The key is doing it well. That's right, that's right. Well, ending on a lighter note, Colin, what are you most looking forward to doing that you've not been able to do during the past almost year and a half? Well, uh, I'm looking forward to eventually being able to, at some point in the future, walk into a coffee shop without having to wear a mask, but I'm quite happy to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, it's nice that life's opened up a bit. Yeah. Um, my, uh, I'm going to sound horribly middle class here, the biggest... Uh, issue I had during lockdown was not being able to go down to Gulland to play golf. No. Um, I found it bizarre that I could uh, not travel 23 miles in a car, arrive in an open space car park, open the door, walk out into the fresh air and walk onto a golf tee yeah. to a golf ball. Never would you um, imagine that in the past. Because the I was crossing from uh, Midlothian into East Lothian mm -hmm. and level two to level three. Uh, it was just like the whole concept in my head didn't sit very comfortably. Um, so uh, being able to do that again has been lovely. And it, I think you begin to appreciate the simple things in Don't life, you? going to a restaurant, um, again, you know, playing golf, uh, going out and about and not having the same restrictions, I think we should all embrace them. Yeah, um, I appreciate just a previous life. And I think, we? you know, like many of us, uh, the idea of going abroad hasn't even entered my head or mm -hmm. in the last uh, year. Um, it'd be nice to be able to go away unrestricted, whether we need COVID passports, fully vaxxed yeah. and all of that. We just have to embrace what's put in front of us, I believe, and then hopefully life will open up for us all. Indeed. Well, listen, thank you very much, Colin. Thank you for coming on. Absolute pleasure. I'm Gillian Semler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's talk at citylets.co.uk.